It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. Our guest for this episode is the incredible Jack Chen. Jack is very accomplished in his uh, both personal and professional life and is on a mission to raise awareness and reduce the incredibly high unemployment rate in the blind and visually impaired community. He has teamed up with some incredible people and completed an extraordinary task of riding across America coast to coast on a bike. So Jack is here to talk about that and the film called Surpassing Sight that documents their grueling journey across America. Hey, Jack. Thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thanks, John. Really great to finally meet you and to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on these days. Yeah, we've kind of met each other virtually, sort of, at a unblinded event that happened a few months ago. And right. um, I've been aware of you for a while, and you're a fascinating guy, Jack. Yeah, I can't wait to talk more yeah. and, uh, and just share with everyone what's going on and, uh, and learn a little bit about you, too. And uh, also talk about the, the film surpassing sight, which is just yes. uh, tremendous. So we'll get a lot into that here pretty soon. But before we do that, Jack, I got to ask you some wacky questions to kind of get to know Jack so everybody gets a better feel for what's going on with Jack. I'm ready. What is your favorite band or type of music? Well, I am a, um, I'm a Christian believer, so I uh, mostly play uh, when I play music and listen to, when I listen to music, uh, worship music uh, in particular. So all kinds, um, so not one particular genre, anything from gospel um, to uh, pop sort of style. So I, I love it all, and uh, I love to not only listen, but play all of it. Okay, so I'm, I'm also a Christian, so that's cool. Uh, and I know what you're talking about. So let's let's dig a little deeper there. Uh, I think you said uh-huh. you're good with everything. So like hymnal, like old school kind of stuff, as well as yep. contemporary, current Christian current kind of stuff? Contemporary, absolutely. Yep. Contemporary Christian to Kirk Franklin, you know, all of that. Uh, so uh, have been part of various different church congregations with various different styles and all of it is is really wonderful, so long as it is all pointing to the Creator. Sure, yeah, that's the that's the most important thing. But uh, in my experience, I'm more of a traditional kind of guy, in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, I like more of the older style music and hymnal kind of stuff. Um, yes. I certainly do have a good respect for the contemporary current stuff, but don't seem to be drawn to it as more. I guess it's more of a nostalgia thing, really, for me, probably. But yeah, so you're talking to organ. Yes, full organ. type organ. Uh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. big sound, yeah. lots of people, um, congregation yes, singing the, as opposed to like right. um, a musician singing kind of thing. Yeah, right. Beautiful. Just hearing hearing everyone together really it creates an environment. It's totally different. Yeah, totally. Different. They're both good. I just prefer more the traditional. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is your favorite book or the most influential book you've read? Certainly. Um, as a Christian person, uh, the the Bible is the most impactful, the most interesting book I've ever read. And interestingly enough, the one that the more you read it, the more you get out of it. So I, I will say that for sure. 
But in terms of other books, uh, there's been a lot that have uh, impacted me over the years. I have recommended to a lot of people Carol Dweck's book on uh, mindset, which talks about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. I find that very uh, compelling and very interesting uh, and have been able to help a lot of people to kind of understand their own uh, limitations and approaches to life um, through that book uh, as well. So that's been a, a favorite. Um, and then, you know, I'm in the process uh, actually of in the next few months publishing my own. So I, I, I really appreciate the quality of good books. I will also say that for a long time, I was a, and, and still am, uh, a big reader of autobiographies. I, I think that autobiographies tell you a lot about a person. And there's no better place to learn about people than through their own writings and their own thoughts. Uh, whether you know the other the rest of the world sees them that same way, I think there's so much to learn. And so I, I um, have a lot of uh, great autobiographies that I've read as well. All right. Well, it sounds like we'll have to get you back when we uh, get this book thing um, for you out there. Oh, too. I'd love to. That'd be, that'd be great to yeah, talk about that. To. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to go to dinner with three other people that's not your family. Um, in present, past, or future, who are you having dinner with? Having dinner with? Wow, that's a that's a great question. I think I would want to um, bring uh, ecosystems together that can really uh, work together and feed off of each other. For me, uh, it would it would be great to have you know, a world leader together, whoever that might be. And then bring that together with Christ. And uh, interesting in kind of picking a third person, uh, someone who's uh, very wealthy. So I think just the, the combination of bringing all these people together, uh, and, and I, I see it all the time, that that the merging of different people's perspectives, desires, interests, passions can really yield something that's far greater than what any of those individuals could do on their own. So I'd be curious to see, you know, bring people together and just see what would come out of it. And I've asked her that question several times. Now, I think that's got to be the best answer I've got so far. That's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting um, conversation. It doesn't even, I guess it doesn't have to be dinner either. It could be coffee or it could be... Yeah, you know, just at the water cooler or something, but some sort of for sure. Yeah, time period. Uh, but dinners are great. You know, that there's a there's a a real uh, humanness to eating, which is something that everyone has to do, and there's a real cultural draw to food. Food is the central essential part of our lives, and to share in that experience, I think, is something that really draws people together and and really opens people up. So yeah, so I'm I'm all about food. Yeah, I, you can learn a lot about people just watching them eat too, just being around them and how they interact with people. And <laughs> how they, that's true. How they uh, that's true. How they keep their manners and you know all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you can learn just from that. That's for sure. What advice would you give your 19 year old self? Well, there's so much. I would say that 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 there's there's a couple of things, and they're some are kind of nerdy. But uh, <laughs> the first one is, you know, really looking at your life from where you want to end up. So, you know, I, I think 
having the perspective that the choices that you make now are going to determine where you end up. And if you want to end up somewhere, think about making choices that are going to help you to get there. So I, I've, I've haven't always known exactly what I want to be. And thankfully that life has been very interesting, but I, I, you know, I sometimes uh, have thought about what if I had made a choice to be this and I had structured my life around it. So that would, that was one. Um, and then one is kind of nerdy. I, I've been into personal finance for a very long time uh, and kind of self-taught. Um, and so one of the things I would say is invest your money early so that you don't have to worry later. And I wish I had known to do that a long time ago. And so it, it you know, just the value of compounding interest uh, is, is so powerful that I'm trying to find ways to help my own family to get to the point where they can they can do that and and set themselves up for financial success in their future. Yeah, great advice. Okay, that's all the wacky questions, Jack. All right, well, I guess I made it. You're off the hot seat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>now you mentioned uh that your life has been pretty adventurous and based on some things that i know about you i believe that to be true notably in the world of physical stuff like mountains and hiking and running and biking and swimming and all kinds i mean you're have you done a a, a few marathons uh, yeah. you've climbed some mountains you've uh, yeah. definitely ridden a bike which we'll talk about here in a minute but is that is that something that's always that you did that you come learn into that or did you like build up to that or just have you been doing that since a kid? It's a fantastic question. So the answer to the last question is no, I haven't been doing this all my life. And no, I never thought that I would. Um, I've always been interested in sort of being physical and moving around and sort of inter interacting with my environment that way. As a kid, I'd love to build things with hammers and nails and wood. So I, I love touching things. I'm a very tactile person. I like to kind of just be out there in the middle of, of stuff and doing and doing things. Uh, but really, never really was into athletics, never really had the opportunity or took the opportunity to do that until I got to high school where, you know, I was uh, a member of the wrestling team uh, in high school. And then, you know, that, that kind of just ended. And when I went to college, I, I did, I barely did anything when it came to, you know, being active and, you know, college was very intense intellectually. So I had a lot of uh, things to learn there, but it wasn't until I got to graduate school that I, I started exercising. And a friend of mine, I was in the, the computer science graduate department, uh, graduate computer science department at, at UC Berkeley. And a, uh, a friend of mine named Haining Chang invited me to go running in the hills in the back of campus at Berkeley to the Lawrence Livermore National Lab. As I recall, it's a one and a half mile or so trail run uh, with some pretty steep slopes. And, you know, he, he was a, a interesting guy. Like, you know, he didn't think that, you know, blindness necessarily put a, a, um, a hindrance in the way. And so I went with it and we went and I ran by myself and he ran ahead of me and I just followed him, you know, by the sound of his footsteps. And the thing I realized is this is really fun. I love this. This is great. Now, I didn't even own a true pair of running shoes at the time. I just kind of ran in whatever I had. I found that I loved that and decided that I wanted to sort of make that much a greater part of my life. So that when I moved to New York after uh, graduate school, I uh, 
decided to sign up for my first New York City Marathon uh, in 2001. So I ran the Achilles Marathon, uh, the, I think it's the inaugural Achilles Marathon back in 2001 in New York City. Eight times around Prospect Park. That was uh, a, a tough race. <laughs> and then the second race I ran was the New York City Marathon itself in 2001, right you know, two months after the 9-11 uh, incidents. So that you know really uh, was an impactful uh, race. And since then, I've been into marathons for a while and then switched over to doing some triathlons and long-distance triathlon and then the race uh, in 2018. Yeah, that's pretty... Pretty amazing. So you just went right into marathons. That's um, that's pretty rem- pretty remarkable. That's just kind of a <clears throat> one of the, the the lessons I've learned is you know set big goals um, and you know there's always a way to get there. You just got to set the goal and decide that you want to do it and go do it. So that's it's been a big philosophy of mine that's carried me through a lot of a lot of different things. And somewhere in that time frame between then and now, you've you've married. Was your wife aware of this stuff? pre like or did she like that or did she grow to like that or does she just say good do what you got to do or how's that work (laughs) yeah no so she she um herself is a you know consummate athlete in in her own right i mean she was on the varsity field hockey team when she was in high school as a freshman you know and so she's always sort of had an an athletic physical side although i don't know that she participated a lot in outdoor activities and hiking and things like that until we really met <clears throat> and when we met we that those are some of the things we enjoyed doing most okay well that's good yeah so you didn't she's a willing participant for most of these she, she yes absolutely. okay that's good absolutely. that's good that always makes marriage a lot easier when both parties are <laughs> are into it yes and you mentioned uh your friend at uh i think you said uc berkeley um mm-hmm. said that you know we didn't really think that blindness was going to be a hindrance in your running uh, or doing whatever you guys were doing that particular day. Have you found that to be generally the concept that most people subscribe to or the idea most people hold about blindness? No, <clears throat> unfortunately, I, I, I don't know that I've seen that. And, and I think that's why it, it particularly impacted me when he invited me to go do this run, because there's it's, it's one thing to say, that you know i believe anyone with a disability can do anything it's another thing to really act on it and Mm, to invite someone to do something and to truly have no barriers or to truly have no unconscious biases he was he was one of them and i i I very much uh, appreciate what he did for me in opening my life up to this you know he didn't have any experience running with blind people he didn't know how it was supposed to work he didn't know what my my own fears and you know all that was about but he just treated me like a regular person say hey like let's hang out let's go run i run let's go run together and it was as simple as that and that's one of the things that i aspire to is that society as a whole would treat people who are blind people with disabilities the same way and say hey you know i don't know what you're going through i don't know how it works for you and I don't need to necessarily um, take that into account, but let's just go do something cool together and and just just be uh, on that same wavelength and treat people as as if they uh, th- that it wasn't an issue. And to kind of set the table on a uh, visual perspective here, sight wise, would you explain your sight? 
when I was born, I had very limited eyesight. I could see large objects, shapes, colors. I used to ride a bike by following the uh, blacktop of the street and the you know the color of the the the, uh, the the curb and the grass and just go around like that. So I had some limited eyesight. I was a video game junkie. I used to play Nintendo when it came out uh, nice, for hours yeah. and hours at a oh, time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I lost my eyesight when I was 16 in a botched eye operation, trying to do a cornea transplant and uh became totally blind from that uh right before junior year in high school so and so for the last 20 30 however many years 30 i can count <laughs> 33 years I've, I've been totally blind i i can relate to the to the change now your change sounds like it was a little more gradual i mean because i think you were mm-hmm. you kind of started with with less than normal anyway or the standard amount mm-hmm. but in the film here that we'll talk about in a little bit, Surpassing Sight, you do kind of as as they're introducing you, um, you talk about the uh, the operation you just mentioned, and waking up from that. And man, I just I just can't imagine what that sensation must be like. Yeah, well, I I, I would say you know the 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 story as it played out was that you know I I was uh, led to the post operation, uh, you know uh, examination room, and I sat down in the chair. And they removed, you know, the gauze bandage that was um, over the eye, and you know, and I was expecting them to continue to remove the rest of the um, gauze pad and and whatever it, that was there. And then once they removed the first one, I was waiting for them to do that, and growing a little impatient, and I was like, "Well, let me just take this off myself." And I reached up, and when I touched my eye, and found that there was no bandage there, and I couldn't see. Then I knew it was something had gone seriously wrong, and it was like someone took a bucket of ice and they just poured it into your soul. It just it's a it's a chilling feeling mm, yeah. where you see your whole future sort of uh, collapse down into this one point, right? You're blind, and what are you going to do? So it, it's a very alienating, a very cold, a very sort of uh, initially hopeless feeling that you you go through and then what do you do from there right that that's the question is how do you come from there and uh, come back that that is the big question and something in your life earlier i think happened that kind of set you i think on a on a path at least in my opinion from what i've heard you talk about uh, on on a path that you pretty much understood from an earlier age that you've just got to make things happen yourself um, there's going to be people that are going to help you along the way, just like you know most life mm-hmm. would be. But there was a particular interaction with one of your teachers. Is that do I have mm-hmm. that right? In in maybe grade school. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I think I think what you're referring to is uh, as a as a young person uh, with a disability in elementary school and the son of an immigrant family. It was really really important to you know, get straight A's. Essentially, right? It was the, the story goes. You know, you get straight A's, uh, you get into a good college, you get a good job, you're set for life, right? That's the that's the path, mm-hmm. and that wasn't happening largely because, as uh, as I said, I could see large colors and shapes, and so I used a, a closed circuit television magnifier to do uh, a lot of my work. But when you magnify letters so that they're you know one or two inches tall, you can only fit you know a few things on the screen at a time. And so it's really easy to lose your place. And I remember very clearly having a struggling with that, especially doing math, um, where you know, I couldn't jump around easily and I get lost and it would take me a lot longer. I get very frustrated. 
and I, my teachers would see me frustrated and you know not knowing what to do and sort of meaning the best they they said you know look don't just don't stress out about it so much don't worry about it so much the government will always be there to take care of if you need them and you know what that meant at the time was wait a minute the world doesn't believe that it's important for me to struggle through this and make it through and and grow from it it's easier and uh, desirable to a certain degree to just let people take care of you and that was eye opening for me i i didn't want that that's not what i wanted yeah man i i can't agree with that sentiment more and it's i think in life you know things happen like that or people those kind of things happen and it does certainly give you purpose or or maybe different different direction or maybe makes you think about something a little differently than you would have before and maybe the people you're surrounded by you're just like man these guys are i'm in i'm not in the right place or i've got a mm-hmm. you know certain you talked about a book about mindsets earlier and um mm-hmm. i think that's all wrapped up in that and people's assumptions i guess about what what your abilities are based on what they what they i guess what they think your abilities are based on what their preconceived notions are can be pretty pretty challenging and really kind of get in your head and, and mess things up for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that is one of the, the greatest challenges in life is to see yourself in, in truth and reality and not through the lens of the way other people see you uh, and, and to counsel yourself, well, who do I want to be? And, you know, are, are you able to go out and be who you want to be and not be who someone else thinks that you should be? That is that is a big challenge, and you know, and a great gift if you think about it. Not everyone is given that gift in facing that question. Well, at least they don't know that they're given that gift in facing that question, because they uh, perceive that the limitation that they have—you know, me, blindness, other people, other adversity, and other disability—they see it as just a a limitation, but not something that can fuel greater growth and can fuel success for their life. So I, I think I've seen uh, myself go through some very challenging times, but having gone through a bunch of them and realized that what comes came out on the other side was just immeasurably valuable, I could say that I learned a huge lesson. You know, let your adversity, let your challenge, let your disability be a fuel for you learn learn from it learn how to go through that uh, and come out the other side much stronger and there's so many cases of how this has happened that i've sort of read about over the years it, it's a it's a fascinating uh, idea that I, I i really hope that more and more people will come to understand and realize and the book that i'm publishing is is uh, largely about that specific topic Something else you said earlier that I can totally relate to is the um, the CCTV, the magnifiers, and things like that. That's something I I certainly know all about and used quite a bit. And I know what it's like to have two letters on a twenty four inch screen or something that you know that's all you can mm-hmm. see. It's hard to read like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to read right. letter by letter, a couple letters at a time to form words and you know all these sentences and paragraphs is like it would take forever. And mm-hmm. you know technology obviously has been monumental in 
adaptive type things, particularly uh, for, for lots of different abilities, but particularly for us in, in, in the blind and vision impaired community. And mm-hmm. I um, kind of, a, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to say this right exactly, but kind of the concept is as a person for you who um, had, uh, I guess you would say a visual impairment um, up until age 16 until, you know, total blindness. Do you feel like life is easier in a sense that you're not clinging to the two inch words on a screen Mm -hmm. to try to piece things together versus just now knowing that I need, I've got braille. um, I've got the technology and things that, you know, I I don't, I don't mean that to be Mm -hmm. kind of, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a weird question, but I've noticed that in my, for me, that when I, when I try really hard to be, you know, normal or do things like normal sighted people would, that the amount of energy in some things is just excruciatingly difficult or painful. And so I just have to let go of that want or need to, you know, guys, I guess be normal or whatever you want to say it and let the, you know, just embrace it and let it happen. And as, as an example, the two inch letters on a CC screen, CCTV screen, trying to put a page together. We now have dictation software. We right. now have software that reads to us. And I've, I've heard you read. That's a funny thing to say where your, your Siri or your, your computer or whatever the voice is, is talking at 600 mm-hmm. words a minute. Right. So like mm-hmm. try to take, take 600 words a minute consuming. I mean, you went to law school too. So there's a lot of reading, right? So yeah, how, are, sure. how are you going to read these law books um, a word at a time versus 600 words a minute, right? So mm-hmm. there's just some embracement that happens when you, um, I guess, lean into it or just own it yeah. or, or make it yourself. And did you find any of that to be the case for you? Yeah, and it's it's interesting and a, a little bit, as you said, hard to, to sort of... Um, contextualize that question because technology has advanced so much since you know the, the early 90s since i last had sight but i will say that you know for a long time i really wanted to do things as as quote unquote normally as i could you know but when i had sight i had very very limited sight but i still didn't use a cane you know i would bump into things and i still just didn't want to do it but at the time I felt it was, you know, important to, you know, who I felt I was, who I knew I was as a person, right, to be able to use the 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 site that I had. And so that was my perspective. You know, obviously when I became blind, I couldn't do that anymore. And so I did, you know, have to start using uh, a cane. But I I do feel that these days what I've learned is I want to do things that are going to make me maximally productive, maximally happy, right? So that might mean in certain situations that I would you know, use a sighted guide rather than you know, try to find my way through the, the airport, for example. You know, I, I certainly could. I fly out of Newark Airport, you know, a, a lot of times every year. And I could theoretically go and say, hey, I'm going to learn this whole place. You tell me where my gate is, I'll find it. And there's a certain desire in me to do that. But then when I think about the effort that would be required, and then of course, you know, as they change the layout and all this stuff, I think to myself, you know, I, I, it, it's it's a little more 
difficult for me to, to find help and stuff. But, you know, I don't want my travel experience to be stressful. And so I opt to get, you know, help at the airport with that. So the, 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 the question is slightly different now. It's about, for me, what's going to make me most productive, most happy, able to get the stuff done that I want to get done, and just find ways to be, to be efficient. So that, that's kind of where I've, I've come to now. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. And I think at some point you just I don't know when that point occurs and it occurs different times for different people based on their, you know, unique situation, but I think there's a time where uh I mean, I think everybody everybody wants to be normal. Nobody necessarily. I mean, people want to stand out, I guess, in some ways, but normal is easy, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think people want life to be easy, but Oftentimes we find that that an easy life is is not really exciting either, um, and there are certainly times where um, you certainly want to live abnormally, which is is kind of odd for me because I I, I was quote normal and then not and then now try to be balance the line between you know so I don't know at some point you just you just you just embrace yeah. embrace it and and move move forward with it. Yeah, you certainly do. And it's a really interesting concept if you think about sort of what the idea of normal is. And so one thing we were talking about before was this idea that disability could be normal, right? It, we, it could be normal to have different gifts and abilities for things to look different. It just so happens now that certain adversities are called disabilities and viewed in a particular way in society. So say, for example, that, you know, you get winded walking up a hill. Well, that is an adversity that you have to face, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody calls that a disability because they see that that is a type of adversity that can be overcome. It isn't sort of stigmatized in society, whereas disability often is. And so when people want to be, quote unquote, normal, right, they, what they're saying is, I don't want the stigma. I don't want the... Uh, the preconceived notions, the um, un, uh, unsupported, you know, ideas about what my capabilities are, to be you know, foisted on me. I want to be judged for who I am as a person with my own limitations, gifts, and abilities, separate and apart from my, you know, identity as having some adversity. You know, ultimately, I I think there's a lot of room for growth in our society, where we can say my own limitations actually provide me with special gifts and abilities. And there there, there are countless examples of this. So a disability becomes normal, that it's just something different about you that gives you a unique perspective and ability in life. Yeah. And I think you're right. Adversity and life, people are different anyway, right? Not few people are the same, you know. Hundred percent. So right. it's just a, a, and everybody has different abilities. We have these gifts that we were given at birth, and that's what we got. And um, some are different than others. Some look different than others, and some act different than others. Do you feel like things are, are, are we in? Are we on the right direction for people understanding that better, or or maybe realizing that, or coming to grips with that, or we still have a long way to go? Yeah, I'm not really sure to be honest. Uh, I I think that I can just see that there's a lot of growth and and opportunity. I'll tell a quick story. So I I also ran a podcast a long time ago, but didn't really um, continue with it. But the first guest that I interviewed on the podcast, which was about 
this concept of disability and success and what are the success factors for people with disabilities, I interviewed Vint Cerf, who is well known to be the father of the internet. So he created, he and a partner created the original ARPANET protocols back in the 60s that led to the internet being uh, uh, created, right? Networks and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. The other thing he created with another partner was email, right? And he says that the reason that he created email was because he is hard of hearing. So he uses hearing aids. His wife was deaf at the time. She subsequently had cochlear implants and is now um, able to, to hear and to process. But he created email because he wanted to be able to communicate with his wife while she was at, he was at work and she was at home. Amazing. So yeah. the disability literally led to the greatest innovation that everyone takes for granted today. That is amazing. And so, you know, when we talk about unique gifts and abilities, we're talking about, you know, things that can literally change the entire world. And Vint Cerf proved that, you know, disability did that. So I, 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 I reframe for, you know, everyone, you know, this concept of disability. Is it really something we should stigmatize and, 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 and put uh, preconceived notions in terms of the gifts, abilities, and possibilities on on people for it. Well, somebody else that you had on your podcast was Dan Berlin, and yes, you and Dan teamed up to do something pretty crazy: the yeah. race across America, which is, I guess, um, super endurance or what? What's it called? Um, I don't know. Just crazy. It's three thousand miles from coast to coast. California to Maryland, I believe, on right. a bike. And um, you guys thought that would be a good idea, or you did anyway, right? <laughs> it's like, what are, you, what are you doing for the, and, and oh, by the way, let's do it in uh, nine days. Let's do it, or less. Right. Yeah. Dan um, and I did a podcast. He is uh, visually impaired himself, almost totally blind, uh, lost his eyesight in his 20s. And like you, you know, he drove for a while and he tells this quick story that, that he was driving in a snowstorm one day and his friends were like, Dan, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. And he couldn't even tell because, mm, yeah. because of his right. uh, dwindling yeah. eyesight from Conrad dystrophy. Mm -hmm. But he and I got on a podcast because he was the founder and CEO of one of the largest vanilla extract companies in the world. And he... You know, for example, if, if at the time you went to Costco and you bought Kirkland vanilla extract, his company made that product. And so he built this, you know, really successful company. And I wanted to have him on the podcast to talk about his life and his experiences. Um, and we, we had the conversation and then we stayed on for quite a long time afterwards, just talking about life and what we were interested in. We found out we both loved endurance sports because at the time I had been uh, doing a, a had done a number of endurance sports, and we shared that in common. And we also shared in common that you know we were at the stages in our lives where we really wanted to be able to make an impact for the good of the whole community, and in particular, this community being the community of people who are blind and visually impaired. And you know, the I, I threw out the, the statistic that seventy percent of the unemployed uh, blind people in America who have college education are unemployed, and he latched onto that and we said, you know, that given our own experience is ridiculous. Like, why should that be the Absolutely. case? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, you know, 
we were, were talking about like what's the hardest endurance challenge you could do and um you know i i think it was either he or i said riding your bike across the country and without a, without a, you know a, a, any second thought to planning or how how you could do this i said let's go do it you know and so that was the sort of perspective i had developed over the years is that if there's something that you know you think is that you you want to do it doesn't really matter whether it's possible or not possible just go out and do it so we agreed there on the spot to do it it was it was literally a less than 5 minute conversation on that topic and we decided we're going to do this thing oh and we will also uh uh use this opportunity to create awareness for you know the the unique position that we were in in having been you know had some success in life uh, being blind and showing the world that okay yes we are blind but we are also successful not only in this race but also in life itself and in our professional in our professions so all of that was uh born out of that conversation and we decided to put together a um a full length documentary about our adventure uh, on and off the bike now did you know dan prior to that conversation no did not no i found him just googling you know successful disabled people yeah that's so that is the power of podcasting jack i'm telling you where you you, you google somebody you connect with them and you chat with them which you you wouldn't have normally you know you couldn't have just called him up and said hey let's talk on the phone for a minute or two you know and then Mm -hmm. next thing you know there's a uh the race across America, um, a film is made about it, the documentary, all because of a podcast. I mean, that's mm-hmm. amazing. It's tremendous. Yep. And a podcast that you know, no longer really exists or is not running yeah. anymore. So, but, but yeah. yeah, nonetheless, I mean, it's it's just connecting people. It's it's connecting people with yep. with ideas, and that's how the world. That's how it works, you know. Yep. And with this technology that we have at our fingertips now. You know, everybody and their mom's got a podcast or has a podcast or is going to have a podcast. So, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So right. and, and here we are talking about it on another podcast. Right. So um, <laughs> it's just amazing. But I, I want to talk about the unemployment thing, too. But I, I don't want to skip over the endurance portion of this 3000 mile oh, yeah. bike race. I mean, mm-hmm. man, that is just I know you had a team of people. I don't know how many, you know, it took a lot of people to, to get that thing done. But what is it like? It riding 3000 miles did it was it yeah. 7 days did you guys how, how long did it take you guys? 7 days 15 hours yeah. yeah 7 days 15 hours it was a monumental effort on the part of so many people so in total with the film crew uh and the support staff and the crew it was 42 people wow uh, total yeah. eight riders it was 3 RVs it was 5 vans you know, it, and it was 24 hours a day because the way that Ram works is, you know, the, the Tour de France is an incredibly difficult race, right? It is hard. But the one thing that's different about Tour de France and, and Race Across America is that at Tour de France, you have a stage. So you have a goal to finish that day. And then what do you get to do? You get to go eat and go to sleep. Yeah, right. Rest. When you're doing Ram. Like there is no possibility. It, you, you, you don't get that luxury. So we did this really complicated, um, not, not so complicated, with this complicated uh, 
uh, relay where so we had four uh, tandem bikes on the team, four blind riders, four sighted pilots. Uh, we grouped down into two two groups of two, and so two people would go out for four hours, uh, and that those two people would do half hour sprints. So we're doing ten mile half hour sprints, and you know the way you have to do the exchange is that you know essentially your wheels have to touch or have to cross right in order for it to be a valid exchange. So what we'd have to do is have one person go out and ride, the other person's in the van setting up 10 miles ahead, getting their bike out and ready to do the exchange. So you do that for four hours. And then when that four hours is done, well, the RV has already driven 80 miles ahead or so, whatever it is, parked uh, and is ready to take on that, that first team, that first two person or two bike team, get them into the RV, get them to eat and sleep and do the switch off with the second group. So we did that you know, across the entire country. And I think I don't remember how many exchanges it was. It was a lot, but that was day and night. And so you, typically you rode three times a day for, for four hours, right? Um, doing sprints uh, and, you know, once in the morning, once in the afternoon and once literally through the, the uh, dead night. So it, it, it was just continuous and continuous and continuous. Mm, man, that is, that is in all of your endurance things. I mean, you've run, I think you've done Ironmans and marathons and, is is this is this the pinnacle of your endurance <laughs> athleticism? It is by far, by far the most difficult uh, endurance challenge I think ever that I've ever done, and you know I think I, it it definitely stands out, um, and and partially because it is such an endurance challenge, but the real challenge was uh, keeping the whole team together, and really. That is where a lot of these teams, you know, break down, fall apart, and drop out of the race because they their teams fall apart. Uh, our team, I think, really galvanized by the idea of this documentary that we were creating, rose to the occasion and won the Lee Mitchell Award for Best Crew. It's because we had a vision and purpose, and we knew we were doing something much bigger than any one of us individually, or, or came to realize that as part of the race. And everyone really banded together because we knew, hey, we all wanted to make this huge impact together. And this race was the start of that adventure. So, you know, we weren't even sure we were going to make it in nine days. And there were you know, lots of difficult challenges along the way, both physical, emotional, you know, relational, all of that. But in the end, everyone really pulled through and, and came through in a big way where we, you know, crushed the the um the cutoff by you know a day and a half wow it's amazing i've had the pleasure of uh viewing the film it's um it's amazing awesome. and uh, you're right there is some everybody experiences as any team of any ability is going to experience right. the same kind of mental yep. and just interpersonal things where you are got a lot of people together that are exhausted and all those things that happen and um you know, that's probably half the battle is, is everybody getting along and, and feeling like everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. So it, it's a truly is a, an incredible film and, um, it'll be, uh, it'll be great when it, when it hits the screen, um, sometime in the future. I don't know if there's a date for that just yet, but it's, it's, it's amazing. But one of the things that it tackles and what you guys are trying to do with this is, is the unemployment thing. And I want to make sure we touch on that too. Uh, as you said earlier, something around 70% of mm -hmm. Is it is it visual impaired or just disabled in general? 
Well, I, I think the numbers are somewhat similar in, in terms of scale. Um, the one that we are most aware of that we hear about is this unemployment rate in the blind and visually impaired community specifically. Yeah. And that's that's specifically the goal of uh, this uh, race movie project and social action campaign is to tackle that number. And so as part of the race, you know, our goal is to take the 70% number and to make to bring it down to 7% or lower. Yeah, you know, it's that, an order that's of huge. That is that is a yeah. yeah, that's huge, right? Yeah, we believe it's possible. We believe that it is is indeed in reach, uh, and we believe that you know we have started something which will carry us through. In the power of film, you know, I, I think for a hundred years or more, or however long they've been, you know, evaluating that those statistics, the numbers haven't changed. And, you know, not without you know, lots of great effort and really, you know, intense work on behalf of many people. But for whatever reason, even after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, the number hasn't really changed significantly. And so this was the challenge that Dan and I were thinking about is how do we make that substantial change? And, you know, even at the time, we just instinctually knew that the power film was, you know, could be far greater than what either one of us could do individually. And so that's why we framed the solution through film is to really make this disruptive impact. And in fact, not aware that there are any other, you know, full uh, full length feature films about um, the success of people who are disabilities, had disabilities in this particular way. You know, many of them for for good reason, you know, and and in achieving great uh, um, results have highlighted, you know, great athletic adventures and all of these things. But what we really wanted to do is kind of demystify blindness and demystify disability and say, we are actually really just normal people and we have gifts and abilities and you know, we leverage them, but we are normal people wanting to, to, to set in people's minds that we're not some, you know, unique, uh, you know, aberration we are normal people and there are many other normal people like us who can do exactly what we do and better we want to break through the notion uh, that there's a limitation here we want to open up opportunities for people and we do believe that the movie will do that because you know as we've been showing it to different people in different private screenings they've all said i didn't know that people out blind people could do all that stuff and it's really breaking through that. And I'll tell a quick story um, uh, about how this has you know, been applied in real life. So I, I went to Harvard as an undergrad, and uh, my 25th reunion was recent, recent in the last couple of years. And I was you know, at lunch in, at the Harvard Yard, and it was just this, you know, just this gigantic mass of people, right? And families and just tables and stuff. Um, and my wife and kids went to get food and I was waiting around and a good friend of mine from undergrad, his name was Edwin Lynn, came up and he said, hey, how are you doing? I'm going to talk to you for so long. We caught up. He's a senior executive at Citadel, which is a part of Citigroup. And uh, he said, you know, I have to tell you something. He's like, you know, I have to tell you that I'm sorry that I couldn't help you more when we were in college. And I said, well, what do you really mean? Well, as it turns out, you know, I took multivariable calculus and differential equations as a, as a class as a summer school student after my freshman year. 
uh, partially because I just wanted to get it out of the way. And so Edwin and I and a couple other guys uh, shared an apartment over the summer. And as I went to class, I quickly realized that uh, that was a very, very, very difficult class for someone who is uh, not cited to to, um, to be a part of. Because yeah, they did I'm a raising, lot of. I'm raising my hand over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he said, "Well, I'll I'll come to class with you, and um, you know, I'll explain to you what's going on in the board." Because he's a he's a math whiz. You know, graduated from Stuyvesant. He was in applied mathematics, I believe, um, uh, undergrad. Uh, student at Harvard. So anyway, he came to class with me and also then quickly realized that he couldn't really do it, couldn't really describe what was happening quickly and thoroughly enough so that I could really appreciate it. And so um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't think much of it, you know, kind of just had to go on. And we saw a lot of each other because uh, we had a lot of uh, close friends together. Um, and you know, he saw me struggle through the rest of college it would, in various different ways. So that said, he then came to me 25 years later, um, but he saw me graduate with honors. And he uh, had the opportunity when he was at Citigroup to hire somebody for his group. Well, he interviewed uh, a blind person uh, and wanted to hire them. He said, you know, because he had seen uh, me go through college and be successful, he knew that it could be done. Uh, and then he went to talk to the other members of of the team the other leads and they said no well he said i'm going to do it anyway because i've seen it done before uh and he did he hired uh, the, the blind person and so we see that on an individual basis the the fact that we're out there and we're working through it and we're you know able to be successful impacts people so that is this movie is edwin's story times a trillion that's really what we're trying to, yeah, to in real out life. There to do: drive awareness, and then all the the all the work that it will be necessary to actually actualize um, those uh, that heart change in people to actually open up those opportunities. So we're involved with that as well. Yeah, I think that's important, um, and and the film is a, a good way to a, a good delivery system for that. One as a guy that's been in sales most of my life, I know or have learned that uh, facts tell. But stories sell. So mm-hmm. don't confuse people with the facts. When, when people see things in action, when people hear these stories of these types of things, and again, this is why the film, I think it's a good example of that, is they can, they can understand it for, their, for themselves and um, what it's like in action. And I think that's what actually gets to the, to the heart of the matter is people get, get, get the sense of the feel for a story. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not black and white. It's, life is not black and white. It's always mm-hmm. different shades of everything. And um, it's the stories that I think really can uh, weave the fabric uh, to make changes. Yeah, and we didn't realize that. You know, as we were making the movie, Dan and I were about, hey, we need to emphasize this employment thing. We really need to like go hard on that. And um, Lucas Benkin, who we uh, brought on to help us to produce the film, said, no, 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 no. You need to make a film that people actually want to watch. That's entertaining. Yeah, and in in doing so, you know, get the message through. So Lucas is an incredible entrepreneur on his own right. Uh, he's created for himself uh, a, a, this this really powerful niche about social impact documentaries. He has a, a production company focused specifically on that because he's very uh, uh, he, he has a, a strong passion for creating social change through film. 
Uh, and this was his op- one of his opportunities to do that. I mean, Lucas is extraordinarily successful. He, you know, was one of the producers of Sound of Freedom, which is the uh, one of the um, highest wildly successful of yeah, the year. Right. So, you know, he has um, created the way to build social action while building momentum for a movie, uh, and then you know, doing a distribution release after that. So. Our strategy has been to mostly uh, keep the movie private for now so that we can create social action, uh, that we can really start this movement, spark this movement, uh, and then in doing so, create momentum around the film so that when it actually does release, you know, it, it has an, an audience already. And so uh, it will be some time before the movie is uh, available to be watched, but um, it, it will happen. Okay, Jack, in the meantime, is there some place we can go to see something about it or to find out more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, the, there are several trailers available at uh, surpassingsitemovie.com. So uh, go there and, and check those out. And you can also reach out to us at our email address, which we'll include later on as well. John, thank you for doing that. You know, please do. We, we are uh, right now where we are in the process of this. Uh, film is we are uh, doing uh, fundraising for the social action campaign using the 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 movie itself. We are doing a, a set of premiere tour, uh, a, a series of premiere uh, on the, on tour in different cities, bringing you know people of means uh, together to uh, endow an organization uh, with you know call it seventy million dollars to to try to. Uh, um, make this actual social action change happen. And so we're also uh, doing some specific uh, in-home screenings for folks who want to bring, uh, you know, people of means together we're, uh, to, to help do that. We're actually needing to fund the film tour itself. So our initial raise we're doing to film to, to raise money for the film tour. And then on the film tour, we'll raise the money to endow the organization. So if anyone wants to get involved and get in touch with us, uh, please, please do. Yeah, of course people do. We'll link to that down in the show notes so you can learn more about the movie and get involved and and really help make this thing um, uh, as successful as uh, I mean, it, we, we, we need this. This is really huge. Awesome. And, and the, the, the vehicle that's in, in, in the form of this film is yeah. just a really incredible way it's all put together. And, and the story really is really is tremendous. So uh, I, I really encourage people to uh, click the link and uh, check it out and, uh, and give if, if you are able. And Jack, I really appreciate you uh, stopping by, man. It's been fun, fun chatting with you. Um, where, where, where can people find you out in the world? Probably the easiest place is uh, they can check out some of the podcast stuff that I talked about. The podcast itself is called Excel Ability, E-X-C-E-L Ability. .net. So that's where the podcast is. Um, you can find Vint Surf's episode there. It's very fascinating. And uh, they can reach out to me personally. Um, my email is jackchenonline at gmail.com. So they can reach out to me. And we'd love to talk about anything uh, and all things about uh, blindness, disability, and success and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, you are a wild man, Jack. And I, I, mean, that, uh, I mean that sincerely. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot just by uh, being near you for a while. So this is incredible. Thanks a bunch. Oh, well, thanks, John. It's been such a pleasure to just chat 
and I just wish everyone in podcast land well and health and safety. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.